Hey, folks, I'm Mark Marin from the WTF Podcast, and this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues, your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist approved. So fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. For this allergy season, grab Kleenex and face allergies head on. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Welcome to Democracy-ish. I'm Torre. And I'm Danielle Moody-Mills. And I'm still recovering from the debate that felt like it took three days long. Oh my God. Twelve people on the stage. It felt like 12 years. You know... <laughs> and I'm not a slave. 12 and years, of, de- 12 years 12 of debate years watcher. Of debate. <laughs> but, you know, I don't even fully blame it on the 12 people on the stage, which is problematic, and I can't wait till we get down to a manageable number. I don't have to continue to listen to Tulsi. But the intelligent, creative people at CNN and every other network cannot think of any other way to conduct this debate... There's no other format. There's no other form of question. Is there a mandate by the DNC that you must start with health care? But it also felt like a spelling bee. Why is everybody <laughs> getting the same question? Why does everybody, like, literally, by the time that you move halfway down the line, everyone is just parroting each other. So I'm also confused, and I'm assuming that when you said talented people at CNN, that you were being sarcastic. Because I honestly don't understand where they got half of their questions from. I could have pulled those from Twitter and they would have been wittier than what the three of them put out. Well, it's interesting because when my children went to kindergarten, one of the questions was, who is your favorite special friend who's not like you? And I love that we finished on that question for these grown adults. However, I thought it was interesting that John McCain was the number one answer. But that's, of course, because there are so few Republicans who continue to have a soul as the GOP has lost its mind over the past few decades. They picked a dead Republican because he can't retort and say he don't like them. <laughs> no, you know what I'm saying? No, but like, John, that's, McCain, that's... John McCain was special within the group of Republicans who I could see where a lot of Democrats would be like, I like him. He's okay. The rest, I mean. You do remember that the man sung a song about bombing Iran, right? Like, we know, do but, remember but who the else full are we gonna complexity say? of who John Ron McCain Johnson? was as a person. We're going to say Tom Cotton. You can't say Mitch McConnell. I'm shocked how that. About, how about I just tell the truth? 
and say right now, these are the people that are in front of us right now. The people that I am standing shoulder to shoulder with in the Senate are not the same people that I used to respect. That these are people that no longer put patriotism and put country ahead of their own party. And so right now, I'm very confused about who they are as people. So for me to stand around and talk about friendship when they are literally putting partisanship in front of the betterment of our country is problematic. Like, that's just a real answer. Like, I don't give a damn who is friends and who is going to sit down and have a bit of bourbon or scotch. (laughs) Like, after they do a vote, like it's 1950 Mad Men, I could care less. No, you're right. The collegiality that used to be possible is no longer possible when one of the parties is completely off the deep end and it shouldn't exist. You know, there was a clearly different structure on the stage in that this time, you know, everybody knows Elizabeth Warren is the leader. Everybody wanted to attack her, especially the other women on stage were comfortable to throw punches her way. The men mostly were tepid about attacking her, but Amy Klobuchar attacked her early and often. Kamala Harris tried to throw punches at her. Tulsi Gabbard had something to say. And I thought you saw, here's how Elizabeth Warren's going to deal with being attacked, at least on a debate stage, that she's going to stay focused. This is what I'm here to talk about. I'm not going to get into tit for tat. I'm not going to fall down on the road that you want me to go down. Right. I actually think that Elizabeth Warren handled herself incredibly well tonight on the stage because it was, to your point, the first time that she was being attacked on all sides. And if we recall Biden's first, second, and third debates, when he was the one that was under the spotlight, he seemed disoriented and he seemed discombobulated. Elizabeth Warren was clear. She was focused on what it was that she wanted to deliver to the people. I especially thought that every single time that Klobuchar came for her, and Klobuchar had some good jabs, I will give her that. But at the end of the day, she's like, you're not even in my boxing class. Mm. Do you know what I'm saying? Mm. So, like, I'm not even going to give you the respect of answering your questions. I'm going to deliver what it is I need to deliver. It was the same thing with Kamala and going after removing Donald Trump from Twitter. I didn't under, will you join me? Will you join me? I just didn't understand why she wouldn't let that go. Yeah, that was a that was a strange car for her to continue chasing after Elizabeth Warren was like, I'm going to elevate the conversation up to here. And then she's still down there about like, yeah, but what about Twitter? I'm like, well, now that seems a little small. I almost want to say, was Joe Biden there? Because he seemed sort of like just not present. Although I did notice there were certain moments when it seemed like you could see his campaign ending in real time, like Joe Biden, (laughs) (laughs) like Joe Biden saying, you know, like, well, we did this and we did this and we did this. And then Bernie Sanders, well, yeah, you got us into a war in Iraq. You got that done. And I'm like, oh, I think that I just saw his campaign ending right there. And when he said, I will not get into court packing, I was like, what the fuck are you talking about? That is the classic Democrat bringing butter to a gunfight. And all these other people jumped off the cliff and joined him in that. I'm like, what what are you talking about? And right now, Mitch McConnell, and I get, they're talking about the Supreme Court. Oh, do we change it from, do we go from 9 to 13? Do we do this? Do we do that? Right now, literally, as they're on stage, Moscow Mitch is sitting at home, moving the pieces around on the chessboard, figuring out how he's going to put in another 150 judges before Donald Trump gets impeached in the House. And so, like, I'm confused about why Democrats are having a conversation about the courts and not having the right 
polite conversation about the courts and instead just saying, oh, we're not going to pack them. Had Barack Obama done his goddamn job and packed the courts in the two years when he had both Mm. the House and the Senate, Mm. we wouldn't be worried about Moscow Mitch right now because we would be saying that as they're trying to roll back Roe v. Wade and next will be Brown versus the Board of Education, maybe they'll go all the way back to Plessy, (laughs) that we would have put structures in place in order for that not to happen. And there was a great moment when Joe Biden tried to claim credit for starting the Consumer Protection Bureau. HZ and uh, Elizabeth Warren was like, yeah, that was really awesome when me and President Obama sat down and created that and said, let's have structural change. I was sure that after the next break, Biden was going to come back and talk about what it was like to grow up as a young uh, black boy in Hawaii. (laughs) It was hard for him. I mean, he seems to want to say everything Obama did is also mine because I was in the room. And Elizabeth Warren was like, she was really delicate and surgical there. And like, I'm not playing the dozens with you, but I'm going to be very precise about Barack Obama was really great in that moment, Joe. <laughs> You're not getting credit. Because what Joe, what Joe Biden did tonight, which and he consistently does, and it drives me crazy, because remember that he entered the race by saying that he was going to be the adult in the room, mm. which was very condescending and insulting to every single other member of the House, mayors, senators that were on the stage with him. But the other thing that he did tonight Every time he opened up his mouth, he said, well, I'm the only one on this stage that has done X, Y, and Z. I'm the only one. And I'm like, oh, yeah, you're the only one that rolled out a crime bill that, you know, disenfranchised Mm -hmm. and broke down the black community. You're the only one that decided to flip flop on the Hyde Amendment. You're the like it, it just when he does that, it doesn't make me think that he is standing out. Mm-mm. It makes me think that he is once again resting on his laurels instead of looking to the future. Mm. Don't just tell me what you have done and don't all of a sudden now start to talk, talk about the Obama-Biden administration where I'm like, we nobody called it that. Mm-mm. It's the Obama administration, son. Mm-mm. You were you were there <laughs> as the vice president. On this show, we really want to talk about what these moments mean for black and brown voters and on a week when uh, Tatiana Jefferson was murdered in mm-hmm. her home, there mm-hmm. was far too little discussion of her, police brutality, police violence. And I put that on the candidates as well as CNN and The New York Times for not making that a special section of this debate. And I know that one, I think one other debate singled out this issue, but this is an incredibly important issue in America to millions of us. And to not make that a huge issue tonight was hugely problematic. The only person that brought it up and had a wonderful line was Julian Castro. Mm. When Julian Castro said that police violence is gun violence, that got huge applause from the crowds in the room. And the reaction on Twitter was amazing because, again, he was the only person that brought Atatiana's name up and said she's sitting, her, her lastly, is sitting on the couch playing video games with her nephew is shot through a window. From the New Yorker staff writer Vincent Cunningham, a keenly observed novel of a young black man searching for his place in the world amidst a moment of historic change. Great Expectations is about David's 18 months working for the senator's presidential campaign. 
Along the way, David meets a myriad of people who raise a set of questions. Questions of history, art, race, religion, and fatherhood that force David to look at his own life anew and come to terms with his identity as a young black man and father in America. Inspired by the author's experiences working on Obama's 2008 presidential campaign, Cunningham uses a political campaign as his narrative backbone. Great Expectations will be one of the talked about novels of the year, Colin McCann. Great Expectations is available wherever books are sold. This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. In her own goddamn house. Like, when are we going to have that conversation over and over and over again? Yes, we were talking about gun reform. And yes, we were talking about, oh, taking away AK-15s or whatever military-grade weapon that we're talking about at the moment. But black people, innocent black people are dying literally every day by the hands of police. Every day. And getting hugged by judges. Getting patted on the head. Do you know what I'm saying? So, like, when are we going to have those? But I applaud Julian Castro because he was the only person to say her name and he was the only person to talk about, you know, even Kamala Harris. Again, problematic when she says, you know, I'm tired and I'm tired of seeing, you know, going to funerals of cops. Mm. And I'm saying, Mm -mm. sister, Mm -mm. come on, Mm -mm. come on. Mm -mm. Ain't nobody talking about police violence, but that's not who is under siege right now. Mm-mm. So let's be clear about that. The uh, Tatiana story really sucked the life out of me. I could barely read the stories about it because it's just, it, I mean, there's been so many. And these stories and these videos are so hard to watch and they take so much out of me. And like, I'm already dead and weary and I, I was already dead and weary when it was Eric Garner. And we're a million mm-hmm. stories past that. Jeez. And this one was like, hey, if all those other ones didn't kill you, how about a woman in her home babysitting her eight-year-old nephew? How about that? So that this little boy has to witness this murder and go through his life with that memory inside of him. How about that? How about that? If you're not already dead, let me give you this one. The officer has been arrested and is in prison at this moment, or jail at this moment, does not soothe me that there might be justice in this situation, does not make it better. There is a massive structural problem in America, and this is yet another brick in that gigantic house. When are we going to talk about this as an epidemic? That's what Mm. I want to know, because everything else seems to be an epidemic, right? They paid many attention tonight to the opioid crisis, right? Mm. Paid a lot of attention to health care. All of those things, important. But you know what? The idea that a black person can't be in their goddamn backyard, can't walk to the store, can't sit in a car, can't pray in church, can't play video games on their couch, right? Can't drive a car. All of these things, all of these instances— We get murdered by police. 
And so I'm wondering when there is going to be someone, when one of the front runners is going to have that conversation. I appreciate Julian Castro. And I also appreciate when Elizabeth Warren says Black Lives Matter. But I will appreciate it more when we have more than, I don't know, two minutes of a back and forth about our lives. I mean, I believe that Elizabeth Warren can be a leader and do the right thing on this issue. I do not believe that Joe Biden can be a leader and do the right thing on this issue. I believe it's tricky for Kamala Harris. Like, she understands she wants to be there, but she's so wrapped up in the police, in her history, that it's hard for her. So I don't understand how you're supposed to support any— if this issue matters to you, where are you supposed to go? And Elizabeth Warren is signaling— I signaling, not yet, not yet owning it, but signaling I could help you with this issue. No other candidate can really say that they're willing to do that. No. And that's very true. I have to say that when you decide to end a debate with a question about Ellen DeGeneres and George Bush, Mm. but you can't manage to come up with some questions about recent current events that actually matter to people's day-to-day lives rather than who the fuck their friends are, that's a problem to me. So it's both the media, right, that is perpetuating our absence, right, us being invisibilized, and then the politicians. Right. Right. Chris Hayes did a great essay on MSNBC about taking the easy road and media wanting to take the easy road. And and he was talking about not attacking Harvey Weinstein and Ronan Farrow going there and saying, I'm going head into that maelstrom and going into who's your special friend from the other side Mm -hmm. is totally taking the easy road going for the false equivalents rather than dealing with a difficult issue like a Tatiana, like the whole Amber Geiger, Judge Kemp thing. Like, yeah, yeah. Amber Geiger is Judge Kemp's special friend. And like, you know, Mm. she does not deserve Mm. a hug. She's a murderer. Mm. She's a murderer. And you know how many people I said, I said on Twitter that Amber Geiger was a heinous murderer. And all these white people tweeted me to say, she's not heinous. It was an accident. I'm like, Get the wow. fuck out of here. Wow. Wow. Yeah, I, I, wow. I, I can't. And, you know, my other issue with tonight's debate, aside from that, was also the conversation around the opioid crisis. Mm. Because when you want to ask a question about whether or not you think that a part of the solution should be to decriminalize opioids, mm. my direct response tonight was, did anybody ever talk about decriminalizing crack? Mm-mm. As the government was pouring it into black communities, right? Along with guns, right? So why are we having a conversation once again? Because it matters who the victims are in this situation. Who decides that one group of people is deserving of treatment and another one is deserving of 10 to 15 years? No, the war on drugs. You're absolutely right. The war on drugs was part of the continued boogeymanization of black males and black women. Right. That we are criminal and lazy and the drug epidemic was a huge part of that. And it allowed all these politicians and judges and cops to point the finger at us and say we must be tough on crime. And it moved the needle so much that for Bill Clinton to get elected, he had to basically take a Republican stance on it and say, yes, I, too, will be tough on crime, because if he didn't say that, then he can't even possibly get elected. 
And now the needle is moving back the other way. Why? Because we suddenly have so many white people dealing with this epidemic in terms of opioids. And again, it reminds me of that incredible moment from Michelle Alexander's The New Jim Crow, when they were talking about in Indiana, a drug dealer with meth was arrested with a rifle, and one prosecutor says to the other, well, it's not like he's a gun-toting drug dealer. And Michelle Alexander's like, he is literally... Literally. ...a gun-toting drug dealer. But because he's got the complexion for the protection... It's Come all on. different. Come on. And I just w- I wish that one of the candidates would call out that double standard. I wish that somebody actually would have came for Joe Biden over it and talked about the crime bill. Right. Like I just I feel like there's not enough nimbleness and nuance that some of these candidates have in order to be really responsive in the moment. I look at Joe as like like if you were having a foot race. Right. And somebody is like leading or second, but they have lost all their electrolytes, right? They have lost Mm -hmm. all the energy in their body and they can no longer run. So everyone can see, okay, we're all going to pass him, like if not now in 10 seconds. So we don't even need to deal with him. You know, Joe is sort of frozen near the top, but it seems like you can see the momentum is going the other way, that he's already lost the lead to Elizabeth Warren, and it's just going to continue slipping down, down, down. I mean, from your lips to God's ears, if that is going to be the case, because we have already done a show on the fact that he ain't the one. He's not the one. He ain't the one. It's interesting. I didn't realize that you could purchase seats on the stage But apparently, you know, if you're Tom Steyer, you can just watch the debate (laughs) from the stage and get to talk occasionally. I thought some of the things he said were pretty solid. I appreciate a billionaire saying billionaires are part of the problem because so many Americans think they have a chance to become a billionaire. So they don't want to criticize billionaires for when they get there to be a billionaire. But you're never getting there, people. That must be like the biggest fallacy I think that we spread in America is that like, let's not attack the rich because one day we're all going to be rich. And I'm like, everyone in America, all over 300 million of us are not winning the lotto. No, right. No one has like the good idea the next Facebook and the next Googles to make you a billionaire. So you protecting them, I don't understand. This is the shark tankization of America, that anybody can come up with something that somebody will want to invest in, and boom, you'll be a millionaire, and you're through the roof. And, you know, you used to want to write the great American novel. Now you want to create the product that everybody wants, and you'll get rich. And I want the estate tax and the tax rules to be in my favor when I get rich. I mean, there's something deeply American about the belief that we all have a chance, a real chance to become rich. It's a fantasy. We don't all have a chance to become rich. But we we all believe that we can, which is so American. Do you know what we have a chance to, though? We have a chance to have a living wage. Mm, We have a chance to have taxes that are actually levied against those who make money off of our backs. I just wish that, you know, to me... That comment about that is the most American because we believe that there is something possible and better, that is beautiful. But it's also really ridiculous because instead of being grounded in reality, 
of your current situation and saying, you know what? I do need this $15 an hour. I do need, you know, why am I paying more taxes than a Tom Steyer, than a Zuckerberg? Like, why are there more billionaires that are being created and yet the middle class is being hollowed out? Like, let us stop living in reality TV, which is what got us Trump in the first fucking place, Mm. and, like, start living in actual reality. Mm. No, it is true that every billionaire is a policy failure, and it is a continued destruction of our democracy. And so many Americans don't even want to hear that. And I saw somebody on Twitter, a fairly prominent person, saying that that idea represented jealousy, as I'm jealous of billionaires, so I'm ideologically against them. Like, no, not at all, not at all. I can hold those two ideas in the mind that I hope that one day I would become a multimillionaire or a billionaire, but also... I think that that is a massive problem in America that a few people can have all the money. And I and we in Brooklyn live near the projects and we see thousands and thousands of people who go their entire lives scraping and trying to figure out where money for dinner is going to come from. Yeah, that's that is problematic. And I think that we the only person to me who's on the stage that has very real conversations about rebuilding the middle class is Elizabeth Warren. She is the only one that is consistently saying, you know what, we need to go use our antitrust laws and break up the Facebooks and the Googles and the Amazons. Why are they the ones that are building the products, selling the products, like doing all of the things? Like you don't get to play on every single plate and be the umpire and the the this and like it's not okay. Right. Right. She's the only one that will draw a line in the sand and say, yes, I want to break them up. Yes, Wall Street is problematic. But the rest of those folks on the stage, they're getting money from them. And that's when she called it out tonight. And she said, you know, maybe we should ask who on the stage is getting money from Big Pharma while also talking a hot game about Big Pharma and getting money from this because she knows it ain't her. Mm. Look, this is truly Elizabeth Warren's life work that she's been looking at what helps middle class people and what damages middle class families. And when she talks about health care and health insurance and those sort of expenses damaging middle class families, about two income families going to one income families and that damaging them, the prices of certain things like college going up outside of many middle class people's reach and the prices of television going down and within working mm-hmm. class people. This is what she's been studying for her entire adult life. She has been working for people, thinking about consumers and what average middle class people can deal with. And this is what has powered her rise as a politician. Mm -hmm. And this is what she's all about. And if you want a politician who is really about what people need economically and financially, she is that person. She is the only one. If you are a worker that is struggling, if you are somebody that ended up in bankruptcy because your loved one came down with a horrific disease, an illness, she is your candidate. If you are a farmer right now that is struggling because of Trump's trade war, she is your candidate. If you are a waitress that's trying to like put food on the table for your entire family, she is your candidate. So it blows my mind that we have all of these people on the stage still, which we should not. Mm. We should not still have 12 people Mm-mm. on the stage at all. DNC needs to change the next debate rules yeah, come on. immediately. Come on. 
It's a Barna, uh, it's Barnum and Bailey circus. If you ain't clocking at 5%, if you're not clocking 5%, 7%, I actually, if I'm saying if you're not in double digits at this stage in the come game, on. get the hell out of the race. Come on, come on. Andrew get Yang out ha- of the race. Andrew Yang is a lovely guy. He's got one idea. We've heard it. We know how we feel about it. We should be moving on from Andrew Yang, right? Tulsi Gabbard should not be able to be on the stage. Come on. As much as we like Julian Castro, I'm sorry. We have seen him. We know what he has to say. Most people have decided he's not going to be our guy. I would love to see a nice four or five at the most person debate so we can really start to hear really in depth and detail what these people have to say and how and what they want to say to each other and not have Amy Klobuchar, who is not going to be the nominee, throwing mud in somebody else's face and Tulsi Gabbard. I mean, yeah. my God, is she pro-life? Is she a Russian I plant? Don't know. Well, I'm not sure. She's a Russian plant. She is pro-life. She is a Republican in Dems clothing. I, I don't know what she is, what she stands for, or who she stands with. And I think that that is problematic. I will say, in terms of the cleaning of the stage, though, I will say that I appreciated Cory Booker tonight on many levels, even though he, too, has not clocked above 2% in many polls. Mm. He just barely made this debate by putting out a final ask for money. But I did appreciate what he was saying and reminding folks that the way that you are talking to each other tonight the way that we are addressing each other and our issues and our differences will be used against us, mm. right? Mm. They will turn, Trump will turn it into. Hey folks, I'm Mark Marin from the WTF podcast. And this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues, your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist approved. So fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. For this allergy season, grab Kleenex and face allergies head on. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM. Campaign commercials with using Buttigieg against Beto going after Warren and all of these things. So he said, be careful with how you address one another. And I thought that that was right. But Trump is going to misstate and misrepresent whatever he wants. And so it doesn't matter if you say you know, the sun rises in the east, he'll misstate that and turn you into a socialist. And it doesn't really matter. Like, he's going to run his campaign and people who are deluded and living in a bubble will believe it. And people who are not will see through that. I thought one of the more important moments of the night, which went fairly quickly, was when Elizabeth Warren said that she wants us out of the Middle East. And a lot of Americans will not want to hear it. But our long-term continued 
occupier presence in the Middle mm-hmm. East is part mm-hmm. of the problem. And I don't have a problem with our relationship with Israel, but our relationship with Israel makes it difficult for us to be seen within the rest of the Middle East as an honest and fair broker. So we cannot be the sort of moral policemen of the Middle East. We are seen as an occupier representing Israel. That's how others in the Middle East see us. And part of the reason why people are rising up against us there and why organizations like ISIS are being created is to fight the American occupiers. And if we were not there, it would be an entirely different Middle East. And it doesn't mean that it would be wilder. In many respects, they would feel the young men who are unemployed would feel less of a need to rise up against the occupiers because they would not be there in their face. Yeah, I just, you know, I don't know who has the best foreign policy on that stage, to be honest. There were not a ton of people that were jumping out to me that said, yes, they can understand this very complex, very layered issue, Mm. tangled web that we've gotten ourselves into. Mm. Everyone seemed to be on the same page as it pertained to Syria and Turkey Mm. and the Kurds and what we have done and the fact that, you know, Turkey has decided, oh, on top of everything else, they're going to release all the ISIS fighters. Fantastic. Great. Let's flood the world with more terrorists. Mm. Thank you, Donald Trump. That's awesome. Um. (laughs) I do I do have direct issue with the way in which we have become the biggest welfare funders for Israel and continue to do so when they are the oppressive regime oppressing entire community of people who they don't care about their rights and Palestine. we just are okay and we're just okay with that in the United States and I think that Democrats have gotten better in terms of being able to push forth that conversation and I I credit that to the freshmen in the house and not any of these presidential candidates frankly girl we got LeBron James standing up for the government of China right now so you know I mean, he's standing up for he's standing up for his pockets which is what the rest of them are standing up for which is their pockets you know because they need more money you know we you and I made an important decision before we started this show tonight that tonight will be the last time we do a post-debate wrap-up until we Mm -hmm. get down to like a two or three or at least four, at most four-person debate because this has become a dead exercise in which we're not really learning anything new about these candidates. We've seen what Elizabeth Warren can do within this exercise. Fine. If everybody wants to kung fu fight and come for her, she can chop them down (laughs) and stay on message. Fine. Got it. But like... I'm not learning anything new with the different reporters asking the same questions. Oh, and you have 35 seconds to answer. Please explain your policy on the Middle East. Go. No, I'm done with that. I, it's ridiculous. The format is stupid. And we're, yes, to that point, we are not doing this again until the field is whittled down. So maybe that'll be, maybe we'll come back again for this, like, after you know, Super Tuesday. I don't know. But <laughs> this entire debate field, a lot of folks need to go. We need to cut the list in half. A lot of folks need to go. And so do we. Thank you for listening to Democracy-ish. I'm Torre. And I'm Danielle Moody-Mills. And we'll be back next week, as long as America is back next week. Pray about it. <laughs>